0: is that if it weren't for the people they're leading they wouldn't be a leader right exactly uh, no i don't want to i know you don't want to be a leader of one right.
1: well good morning uh welcome to another edition of the art of rona leadership podcast uh, it's a beautiful monday morning uh in las vegas nevada Hope you all had a a great weekend. Um, we had a we had a nice relaxing time. We have a new puppy, so we've been spending a lot of time with the new puppy. Uh, not getting a heck of a lot of uh, sleep, but uh, she's a joy to have, and so that's been keeping my wife uh, Janice and I uh, kind of uh, active, you know, over the weekend. Um, as you know, on this podcast, this podcast is about leadership, and we like to bring in all kinds of uh, individuals. Uh, from all different kinds of enterprises, so not just security folks or or people, you know, with my background, but we want to bring in people that are leaders uh, in their own community, in their own enterprises, and to talk about just the, their take on leadership. Today, I have the privilege of having a, a really good friend of mine, uh, Tom Kovach, who is the Executive Director of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Foundation Board of Directors. Uh, I met Tom a few years ago, um, and uh, expressed interest in joining the board, which I'm a member of. Um, got to know Tom very well. He's a, he's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful, decent human being, and a, and a and a great leader. He's running, I dare say, the best uh, police foundation board uh, in 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 the United States. Uh, and of people will say, "Well, you're being." Being parochial about it, but I, I, I truly believe that, and 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 a lot of that obviously is, is due to uh, Tom's uh, leadership of the board. So, Tom, uh, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for taking time out of your busy day to, uh, to to talk to me
0: for a few minutes. Good morning, Mike. Thank you for having me, and thank you for your kind words. You're welcome. Um, well, I, I like to make this
1: really conversational, so um, I just just start with why don't you tell us about you know who Tom Kovach is, your, your background, and how you ended up uh, in, the, in the position you are now as Executive Director for the Foundation.
0: Sure. So my dad was in the military. Uh, he's a graduate of West Point. Uh, so I was actually born in Hawaii, uh, okay. where my mother was living, uh, while my father was serving in Vietnam. And uh, they thought that uh, they didn't want him to have to spend uh, most of his R and R, getting from Vietnam back to the East Coast, uh, sure. where they had been living before he was deployed. So I have the uh, great notoriety of having been born in Hilo on the Big Island. Okay. Uh, but following uh, my birth, my dad decided to uh, leave the army, uh, and so it began a process of transition that led me to live in many states.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, during my childhood. And it wasn't until the mid nineties when I moved to Las Vegas uh, that I felt that I'm living someplace that uh, really is home. Uh, Given the length I've lived here and that my husband who is from here and my parents uh, several years ago decided to move here as well. So my family entity uh, is here. Uh, And most of my career, uh, I spent traveling all over the place, Uh uh, helping clients uh, who are all nonprofit organizations, uh, some of the largest nonprofits in in the world. Uh, For many years, I was traveling to the United Kingdom, uh, Uh supporting institutions like Cambridge and Oxford uh, and other major universities. Uh, in the UK, uh, established uh, really their first uh, American-based fundraising program, Uh, you know, using the model that was established in this country uh, so many decades ago, uh, because it was new there.
1: Right.
0: And then I've really... uh, Dedicated my work uh, professionally to supporting nonprofits, uh, both from a fundraising standpoint, a board development standpoint, a strategic planning standpoint, executive Mm -hmm. management standpoint. uh, And has also uh, served on a lot of boards. Uh, So not only do I do this work professionally, um, but I do it in my spare time, so to speak, uh, as a volunteer. Uh, And... About eight years ago, uh, I decided to put up my own shingle and start Mm -hmm. my own business rather than work for a larger company. And for the most part, uh, focus on Nevada, uh, where I call home, particularly Southern Nevada. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've had engagements uh, that have taken me around the world, around the country, um, but I am trying to spend as much time here helping organizations here uh, and many of those organizations uh, at least initially are are quite small sure. and I'm helping them grow and achieve their goals and along the way take risk uh, because without risk there usually is little reward
1: Absolutely.
0: and that's something that I find too often uh, nonprofits uh, shy away from mm. Where, whereas in the corporate world you'll typically see risk being taken all the time. It's understood, it's accepted. Um, But in the nonprofit world, uh, it is less accepted and almost uh, feared. Uh, And so one of my goals uh, is to help nonprofits understand that they can take risk and do it in a way that they can be successful uh, and not let the fear of Failure uh, prevent them from taking risk, and then preventing them from being able to fulfill their missions to as great a degree as they would like to see done.
1: Yeah, no, I mean exactly. We uh, you, you, know, you can't play it safe, you know, all the time. And actually, as you said, get to any measurable strategic goals. Like you know, they call it BHAG, right? Big, hairy, audacious goals. We used to call it. So uh, that's fascinating. Uh, what? What led you, what, what, what draws you to the world of nonprofits? What is it about nonprofits that kind of, you know, get your juices flowing and, and, you know, get you up in
0: the morning and ready to tackle the world? So two things, one, it's rooted in my parents uh, who are among the two most generous people I've ever met. Uh, so volunteering, serving, Mm -hmm. I mentioned my dad was in the service, so he served that way. My mom was a military spouse. She served in that way. Um, But that is part of their nature overall. Um, From the earliest memories I have growing up, my parents were helping others. My parents were volunteering for the organizations that I was involved with. I played a lot of sports growing up, and so my parents were serving as coaches and as team mothers and as mm-hmm. uh, treasurers of the nonprofit organizations that uh, supported uh, the, the the leagues that my team was playing in. So it's part of my upbringing. It's part of my value system, mm-hmm. uh, and really the first time that. I had the opportunity to pursue it um, outside of, you know, volunteering. You know, I volunteered as a youth soccer coach and as a youth soccer referee. Uh, I volunteered in high school for various organizations. I volunteered in college, (laughs) the big brother and that type of uh, service. I served in student council, was uh, president of the student body, that sort of thing. Uh, But, it was because of that role as president of the student body at the college I attended uh, that I was invited to a bunch of receptions uh, with trustees and important people. Uh-huh. And during one of those receptions, uh, I started talking to somebody who said, uh, you're going to graduate uh, n- next year. and You know, what are your thoughts? Uh, And we were talking about a variety of things. And one of the things I referenced uh, was my surprise that the senior class each year that I had been an underclassman Mm -hmm. uh, provided a gift to the college. You know, they raised money amongst themselves and gave something back to the college. And it's one of the traditions we have in this country as a way of starting the giving and philanthropy perspective for graduates, for alumni. right? And my question to this person was, why aren't these gifts larger? Uh, you know, the student body of the college I went to was relatively affluent. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a tremendously positive experience for most students. It was a beautiful setting. You could, you know, was, I went to college in Vermont. I mean, there, there wasn't a lot of... Uh, Issues in the small town that, you know, if you went to school in Boston right. or Manhattan, LA, you'd have to consider paying attention to in terms of crime or uh, other safety issues. Uh, and unfortunately, and fortunately for me, because it opened my eyes and created a career path for me, but unfortunately mm-hmm. for me, the person I was talking to was the director of development for that college. And he did what he should have done and emergently turned around and said, well, if you think it should be better, why don't you you do something about it? Something about it. (laughs) And and so uh, that's what I did. Uh, And as I went through the process, you know, I first recruited a co-chair who was a woman. Um, My thought was we should have gender parity to this process. And we decided we would create a committee that had representation of the different social groups among our class Mm -hmm. Uh, because i had a relationship with the board of trustees i went to the chairman and i said you know if we hit a certain percentage of participation will the board match the amount of money we raise Mm -hmm. it just seemed like an interesting thing to do uh, and a good thing to do little did i know it's a you know staple of successful fundraising campaigns yeah and so we we just did what felt naturally and that process uh, drew me to being comfortable with asking people to support a cause I believed in. You know, we, we polled uh, our class for ideas of what the gift should be, and then the class took a vote. You know, that that really had never happened before, but mm-hmm. it created ownership by the class in this project. And it was a, a project that was... Exciting to people. It wasn't a clock or a bench uh, somewhere on campus. Uh, And so all of those things uh, came together. And uh, during that process, we were assigned an advisor. It's someone who worked in the development office. And Mm -hmm. I didn't even know a development office existed. So it opened my eyes to that and to the opportunity to basically have a career that I never anticipated, uh, but one that I've found extremely rewarding. Uh, and quite frankly, I base it all on, you know, common sense, right? We do it. We did the things that felt natural to us. That's what makes a successful fundraising campaign. That's what drives a successful nonprofit. Uh, too often people, whether they're involved with a nonprofit from a board perspective or a fundraising perspective, whether that's an event or a campaign, they, Pay attention to details that are less important. They make it more complicated than it needs to be when it comes down to it. There's a need. There's a potential person who might want to support that need. And it's having a conversation uh, about supporting and what the impact could be and how that could change lives. Um, Yeah, And here I am.
1: No, I, I wow, that's fascinating. I, didn't, I had no idea, and uh, you definitely have the, the DNA built in you for service. That's for sure. Um, we actually have a lot in common in terms. Of, uh, my dad was also military, served in Vietnam, and you know my, my mom spent obviously most of her career as a, as a as a spouse, you know, supporting him. So, but it's fascinating about uh, how he actually got got into this. But I love I love how that uh, the person told you. Well, if you want to. If you want to make a change, basically you do something about it, right? And and you did, and you also bring up a great point. You know, from a leadership strategic point of view, is you can get so far down in the weeds, you know, that like you say, the forest from the trees, right? You kind of don't see the big picture and lose sight of that that strategic goal. Um, tend to be micromanagers. You know, those are kind of, those are the kind of folks that always like nit stuff, right? Um, so getting back to this thing about leadership. Obviously, you've had leadership positions. You are in a leadership position. Um, how do you define leadership? I mean, for Tom Kovacs, what, what, what constitutes
0: a, good, a good, good or great leader? So those listening don't necessarily know that you and Janice, Matt, and I are good friends, and we were planning to go on a cruise together this month, and right. I was planning to bring along your book. So I can read it, <laughs> uh, but I'm going to go to a different book uh, that I had read in college uh, that was written by a former CEO of a furniture manufacturer in Michigan called Herman Miller. Okay. His name was Max Dupree. Uh, he wrote a book called Leadership is an Art, and it has stuck with me uh, throughout my life. Uh, he essentially, Uh, defined leadership as setting reality Mm -hmm. and saying thank you. And I think those two pieces are very important uh, to an effective leader. And there are two things that I have tried really hard to do uh, throughout my career and any aspect of my life where uh, I'm being called to serve. And that is one uh, make sure those who I'm leading, uh, who are involved in the organization, who are on the team, whatever the construct is, um, understand uh, what we're all trying to accomplish. Uh, mm-hmm. What is the reality of our situation? What are our goals and objectives? What are the parameters within which we can do our work and work together and uh, strive to achieve our mission? It's all fundamentally important. Uh, that. A leader sets that tone, sets that stage, and uh, feels comfortable letting people know that we're going off track. You know, this is our reality. We need to 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 refocus because the last thing anyone wants to see happen is for their time to be wasted. For sure. them, feel that they're not contributing, um, and you know, a good leader will ensure that that they are doing everything they can to support their team, support their organizations, support Mm -hmm. those whom they're leading to help them be their best. Uh, And then say thank you to me is just a very simple way of uh, describing the role of a leader and the need for that leader to recognize that if it weren't for the people they're leading, they wouldn't be a leader, right? Exactly. Uh, No, I don't want to. I know you don't want to be a leader of one. Uh, So uh, ensuring that those who I'm leading feel that they're being recognized, that they're being supported and that they fundamentally know that I view my role first and foremost to enable them Mm
1: -hmm. to support
0: them to help bring down barriers that might exist to their success and to their fulfillment of the role that they're playing and so those those two concepts uh, really have stuck with me and are are pretty much the main two guideposts that I use to to lead yeah
1: no I mean that's great I mean I I also like the fact that you, you remember this from a book you read on leadership, because real you know, leaders are always reading, always studying, learning, growing, you know, no matter what position you get in. And I'm the same way. There are books that still stick with me um, in terms of how I try to formulate my own leadership. Style. But one thing you said is, is striking. It's so simple in, in the concept of saying thank you. And appreciating people and making them feel like they're having a contribution—it's amazing to me. And you've seen it too, I'm sure. How many times that does not happen? Um, you, then you feel like you're a cog in the wheel, and you know you have no no skin in the game. And and as you know, they keep saying that uh, all these studies that come out year after year about why people leave enterprises. And a lot of them they leave it. HR finds out they leave it because of the boss, right? And uh, the work environment. So. No, I, I, I'm with you 100%, and it's, like I said, something so simple, it's just beyond the grasp of a lot of folks in, in quote, quote, leadership positions, right? Um, you, you had to adapt to a lot of change, I suspect, in, in your careers, right, in, in, your, in your path, your, your, your professional journey, and, and, and uh, in, in your leadership journey, uh, but change is constant. Um, whether it's changed from pandemic or whether it's this it's change in the business climate or like in 2008 with the recession. Um, how do you, how do you adapt to change? I mean, what, what are the tools you use uh, not only for you to adapt to change, but for the people under your command to keep them motivated, to keep them going in and, the, in the, in, you know, keep them going forward in the midst of changes or, or problems or things that are affecting your, your, your business.
0: So one of the most important things I found is to ensure that I'm communicating Mm -hmm. uh, to the team, to the enterprise, what is happening, right? Again, it goes back to defining reality. Well, reality isn't a constant. So when there is change, it's important that I'm sharing the information I have I mean, when it comes to a pandemic that hit us all so hard, everyone pretty much understood the context, but what were the specifics, um, in this case, for our foundation when mm. all of a sudden we had to shut down our in-person operation, we had to cancel our in-person events, uh, which are very important to the revenue stream of this organization. Uh, and in our case, uh, we had just hired three new staff members hmm. uh, within two to three weeks before the shutdown. And so I went to the team and said, you know, here's the reality. We uh, are going to have challenges we didn't anticipate uh, in." raising money yeah uh, we brought on uh, three new people who are all valued and are were, you know excited to work with us and we're excited to work with them
1: mm-hmm.
0: and i and i said you know i'm committed to keeping you and i'm c- committed to keeping the team intact but this is what we're going to have to do in order to succeed we're, we're going to have to hit our original revenue goal. And that was the highest annual revenue goal that the organization had budgeted in our history. Uh, It enabled the hiring of the new staff. Uh, And so we had to adapt collectively and come up with ways to raise the money that we initially said we were going to raise for the year. And that was very different from a lot of nonprofits uh, here Uh, at least in Southern Nevada. And I would expect a lot of nonprofits across the country where the first step they took was to revise their revenue goals, to revise their budget and reduce staff. Uh, And I didn't feel that was going to be best for the long-term of the organization, nor was it certainly going to be best for the three people who, you know, had left another job to join our organization. And I didn't do that in a vacuum as you know, as a board member, I brought to the board's attention that that was the plan and we would evaluate it. So I think change and managing change is a process of communication, uh, evaluation
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and, you know, retooling uh, and revising the plan and the operation uh, to reflect the new set of realities. In our case, we kept intact the staff. We retooled by diversifying revenue streams. Uh, we started new fundraising initiatives that uh, we, and I think every case had planned to do at some point, but not necessarily that quickly. Uh, but because we had a focus on diversification uh, and not uh, making us dependent on a single revenue stream or even a few revenue streams, uh, that allowed us to achieve the original goal. Uh, we worked Harder and different ways to do it, Uh, but uh, in the end, it 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 was achieved, and so it was a process of communication, evaluation, and reorganization and replanning.
1: Right. Yeah, communication is essential, but it that you know obviously we we lived all all of that, but it's 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 interesting to me. That what was your focus? You know, when you were hit with all this, obviously you you're trying to look for ways to uh, keep the foundation going forward with the original goals. But your focus was also on those three people first, you know, and, and making sure that they were being taken care of. And I, and I'm I suspect a lot of places, like you said, whether nonprofits or or uh, Uh, other enterprises their initial things just cut 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 retrench and you your mindset was different your mindset was we can still succeed we just have to figure out a different way to do it and 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 it was done and I think that's a great lesson for uh for all leaders when you're faced with the unknown because basically you're going to be faced with the unknown all the time that's that's what you signed up for when you become a leader right Everything's not going to be hunky dory every day, and so you know it's. I like that. It's a great example uh, of, of being able to adapt, you know, and uh, and then overcome overcome, you know, in this particular case, you know, something that no one would have ever anticipated, right? You know, this black swan uh, event that happened. So that's a keeper. Um, when. So you've had a very successful career. You continue to have a successful career. You know a lot of a lot of things I talk about in in, in my book and a lot of books that I read about. The ones that really strike me are the ones where the authors authors aren't just patting themselves on the back about what a wonderful leader they are, but also about the mistakes that they've made, things where things haven't gone so well, and and what you what you learn from them. Uh, is there a is there anything in your uh, your background that you can pull out that it was something that maybe well-intentioned, but you made a mistake, but you, you learned from it, you recovered from it, and you grew from it?
0: So the flip side of being generous is at times we allow ourselves to be too nice or nice when we should be sterner. <laughs> All right, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> I have a lot of examples of those, right? Uh,
1: <laughs> okay.
0: That that's because what, what I came to realize is when it happened the first few times was it wasn't just the person I was directly engaged with where I was too nice, right? Or I wasn't you know strict enough when it came to expectations and accountability mm-hmm. where Where I learned was when I received feedback from their colleagues and realized that it was affecting not just that one person or me or their work within the organization, but it was affecting their coworkers because they saw in their minds perhaps a different treatment or someone not being held uh, to a level of accountability that they believed was right and good. And so it was a, a really strong reminder that anyone who's in a position of leadership needs to always remember that you're leading a team and not just a particular person. And while you might need to focus on a particular member of that team at any one time, you can't do it in a vacuum. There has to be uh, the acknowledgement that there our effects on everyone on the team based on how you treat one member of the team.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so that to me, if if I put that sort of mistake in one broad category where it's happened as the most for for me, it's, it's in that category. And, you know, the balancing between holding people accountable, but also wanting to support them as human beings and, uh, create that environment where they can succeed because everyone is different uh, and and that's you know that's the the beauty of our organizations uh, if we're being true to inclusivity and diversity mm-hmm. uh, of all sorts of things backgrounds thoughts and so forth um, but it's also the challenge because the more inclusive we are, the more diverse we are. We're going to have more instances where conflict arises uh-huh. um, because different perspectives are working together and different ideas are being shared and different approaches. And, and so that was a, that, that's was that been a, an important lesson for me to, to know that I want to be nice. I want to be kind, but I also have to, Ensure that, you know, I, I'm in that context of setting reality, <laughs> yeah. ensuring that all team members know what they need to do, where they might be falling short. I can't, you know, give them everything all the time. Um, and that doesn't mean I dislike them or think they're doing a poor job. It just means for the good of the organization, uh, we, we can't do everything that everyone Wants or needs at a particular moment in time.
1: Yeah, amen to that. Yeah, I've 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 had similar situations. and 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 someone told me years ago that you know when you're when you're in charge, people are always watching you, right? They're always even if you you know if you don't think they are, they're always watching you. And so, but yeah, we're humans, right? We want to we want to be liked. We want to like other people. We want other people to feel fulfilled. And but it is it is a balance. I'm glad you pointed that out. So, you know, what? I've always been an advocate of of mentorship, right, of either being mentored or mentoring others, uh, especially when you're looking at next generation leaders. Um, We had an interesting conversation, what was it? A couple nights ago, maybe maybe yesterday, time just flies, but talking about, uh, uh, we had some friends from out of town, that's what it was, and we were having dinner at Lupo, right? Mm Very good. Yeah, I know. We've been to Lupo together, so. <laughs> but uh, they're, uh, they're my age, I'm 65 and about the same age. And they were talking, and they're also working on them. They were talking about uh, millennials and Gen Z, right? And their experiences with them uh, and how, you know, they didn't feel that those folks is broad category, right? That they didn't have the same work ethic and, um, you know that had unrealistic expectations blah 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 I pointed out that I had a business manager at Microsoft who's a millennial and she had the same work ethic as the rest of us it, it's I don't think you can broad brush but from your optic you know when you look at next generation and and mentoring um, you know what, what, what's your what's your take on that do you do you uh, have have you ever been involved in I assume you are in mentoring and being mentored, and what do you think about this next generation? Uh, and how, how do we how do we how do we raise them up and mentor them so they can be successful?
0: Well, the key that I've found is based in the concept of ownership. Mm-hmm. You know whether you're and I'm not good with all the terminology, but whether you're in your 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s, 20s, people want to feel as if not only are they working for something or working for someone, but while they might not have the, you know, fiduciary responsibility or equity in something, they still want to feel as if they're an owner of something, right? They own... Their work, they own the, the the destiny of the organization, the team they're working on, mm-hmm. and so that to me has been a key. That while it's certainly true, there are different attitudes, different perspectives, different approaches by people who are you know in their twenties and thirties versus those who are in their fifties and sixties in this nation, if not in this world. I think there are some commonalities that are important to keep in front of us all. And one of those to me is, is ownership that you want someone to feel as if by joining a board, when they join the board of the foundation, I want our new board members to feel that, you know, they have a stake in this, that their opinion matters and they're going to be motivated to attend our meetings or to take themselves away from their families and attend an events or, Mm -hmm. you know, make outreach to a prospective donor or community partner uh, who might be able to help us. And it's no different than an employee, uh, regardless of their age. I want them to feel that they have some ownership in their course of work and their path and the outcome of their efforts. And that means very importantly, in my mind, uh, being somewhat hands off as a leader being trusting of the people that they can put their stamp on something they might do it differently than i would have done it but that's okay if we have a mutually agreed goal uh, outcome uh, and there are some parameters in which you know we do the work one it should be legal Mm-hmm. as an example. Yeah. Uh important, yeah. <laughs> um, it's okay if their path is different or the ideas Perfect. they bring to the table are different. And then, you know, the extension of that is it's okay if they make a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. And they're not going to, they have to understand that they're not going to necessarily be punished for trying something that doesn't yeah. work. Yes. Um, and so I think that's all very important. And I think that's probably critically important, at least in my experience, to working with, the generations that you've outlined um, because, yes. you know, their perspective on life is very different than yours or mine in, in many cases because they haven't lived through what you and I have lived through. Uh, however, they've lived through experiences where they didn't, because they're younger, they didn't have the benefit of hindsight and experience. And so uh, I think if, at least I found that if, you know, you, i can help them understand that they have ownership in this just as you know much as people older than them do um, mm-hmm. in their work that, that that helps them be motivated and devote the time and the energy uh, that's necessary to to get the job done and you know bless them that they can figure out a technology that i don't necessarily know as much about that helps them do something faster or differently than than I would have done it or we would have done it, you know, ten years ago, twenty years ago, or at their age.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Something you said that just struck me. Uh, um, and you talk about allowing them to make mistakes, right? And and not jamming them for you know all the time, but letting them use that to learn and grow that happened to me earlier on in my career that had I did something that I shouldn't have done for all the right reasons and had the person at the time my, my supervisor not treated me well and tried to try to make it a, a learning experience but just said hey you know you did something wrong you know and punish me or whatever it was uh, you know the, the my take on you know taking risks that you talked about earlier in the conversation or or, or making mistakes it would you know, I'd have been gun shy probably, right, for a long time. So uh, I, that that's that's extremely important lesson that uh, those of you listening to the podcast need to take from what, what Tom just said. One thing, and we'll, we'll wrap this up in, in a little bit, but I, it it so you mentioned that we were supposed to be on a cruise, right? So for those of you listening, um, uh. Tom and Matt, Janice, and I, we were all supposed to go on a cruise, a river cruise to Vietnam, but you know, COVID hit. And so hopefully next we'll make next year we'll definitely get it done. Sure. But it just when you mentioned that, it, it struck me because there's this whole issue that happens in the realm of leadership about you're taking your time off, days off, taking your vacation, relaxing, unwinding, right? Uh, I talked about that actually in another in a podcast when I was just we were in Cabo and I just talked about the importance of it. And you've seen it yourself in your professions, I'm sure. And we I've been I've been guilty of, of practicing as it's, it's like I remember back in the government or back in uh, at, at Microsoft, you know, you accrue so many vacation days. And sometimes it's like a badge of honor how much you didn't use, right? <laughs> right. I find that stupid nowadays, but you know, when I was younger, I thought, oh, this is pretty cool about these vacation days. When you are able to unwind whether it's a weekend or uh going on vacation how do you handle business i mean do you do you think about business um what's your take on that as a from a leadership perspective
0: so i do think about business usually when i'm on vacation uh in part it's due to the fact that we can remain connected sure. so easily, and I think about some of the most satisfying vacations I've had, and those have been where I haven't been in a place where there was communication. Okay, uh, there there wasn't cell service, or there wasn't, uh, yeah. which in this day and age is increasingly more difficult to <laughs> to find. But um, so I, I think that point you raise is so important. And it's one of the things that I have been most impressed by Matt and the police department is in my work on almost every vacation I've ever taken, I was connected. It wasn't something that I was spending a lot of time on, but if someone needed to reach me, they were able to, and if I need to reach someone, I could but what I found so impressive about the police department and Matt followed this is when they go on vacation, someone's assigned to cover them Mm -hmm. and he would literally turn off his phone Mm -hmm. when we left and wouldn't turn it back on until when we arrived back. Wow. And I think that is a really uh, impressive Uh, operating practice uh, because it ensured that when you were going to take a break, you were able to maximize that break. And I don't know if every police department is like that. or uh, Every person on this particular police department follows it. uh, But it certainly worked really well for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the, you know, Ability to to use vacation for for what it's worth, uh, and the reason we have it, and the value sure. of it, and so that's it. I, I tried to be more like him, uh, not usually succeeding. <laughs> uh, but one thing I, I will say is that uh, I, I do believe that again going back to what I said earlier, we have to trust the people we have in place. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't so much checking up on them. It was more wanting to make sure that I was responding to the external factors uh, of the work. So clients in my previous work or donors in my current work and and that sort of thing. Uh, But it's never been, uh, from a standpoint of is I don't trust the people that are at the office while I'm while I'm away on vacation and if someone finds themselves in that situation then they need to recalculate either from their own perspective or the people they've hired uh, okay. fundamentally you need to trust those who are mining the store when you're away
1: exactly yeah I, I've never gotten to where Matt is either to completely turning off the phone uh, I, I would when I was still working, I would I would spend maybe half an hour in the morning after working out, just going through email, not necessarily to respond, but just to, so I didn't come back to 300, 400 emails when I came in. right? right. Uh, the other part of it is, and, and, and I know you agree, is you're setting an example as a leader, right? And if If you're constantly on email responding, blah, 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 they're going to do the same thing. They're going to feel they have to do the same thing. And I know I wanted my troops to unwind and relax. I, I don't want a bunch of stressed out team members, stressed out at work, stressed out on vacation. Right, but man, Matt, that's that's impressive, man. <laughs> I couldn't do that. Uh, uh, wow. Um, so last question. This is maybe more kind of broad brush, but you know we we have a, there are a lot of divisions in this country uh, of all different types, and. Uh, it's uh, as as a person, as a leader, as a, as a person that runs our uh, foundation board. Um, how, are you are you a hopeful person? Are you hopeful for the future? I mean, how how, how do you deal with that? All the stuff that's you see in the news and and the, the divisiveness in the country. How, how, what's your perspective in terms of how do you deal with it as
0: as a leader, so to answer your specific question, I am a hopeful person. Good. Uh, I think we should be hopeful. Um, one based on history, uh, and two based on the spirit of the American people. Right. And I don't want to speak too grandly here, but. Sure. We're getting at the divisions that, in many cases in my mind, are centered uh, in our nation's capital uh, and are rooted in what I'd argue is a lack of leadership in a system yeah. that basically promotes competition Mm -hmm. if there is a lack of leadership so we have a two-party system and that works really well when there's leadership who believe truly and sincerely in collaboration cooperation and in finding common ground and moving forward and I think there's just day after day, example after example of where right now that's not happening. All right. And I think this will change because there will be an appetite for taking a risk.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that risk to me needs to be something that causes the leaders of our nation who view themselves as leaders of one or two political parties to recognize that that isn't going to continue to work or that people will realize that they have to take a risk and figure out how to vote for something different. Sure. Uh, And we've done that during our history as a nation. We haven't necessarily done it recently uh, to the degree that was necessary. Um, And so I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we will be the beneficiary of the ingenuity of the people of this nation that a group of people, someone, will come up with an alternative that will lead us to a point where there is more unity uh, and more cooperation and collaboration at the highest levels of politics in our nation so that there is a path forward where we can solve the big issues that we face in a way that doesn't alienate half the nation uh, in doing so. So I'm hopeful.
1: Yeah. Well said I am too. (laughs) Um, Well, Tom, I really want to thank you for uh, again, taking time out of your day to, to talk to me and be on this podcast. Uh, I think you've, you've touched on a a lot of different things that uh, people listening will be able to take to heart. uh, We'll be able to apply in their own leadership journeys. Right. And you, thank you for being so open and honest about your own particular journey. Um, I think you do one hell of a job running our board. I'm not just saying it because we're friends. Um, I've been on a lot of boards like you and ours is is one run very smoothly, strategically, great communications. And uh, it's a great spirit of cooperation, I think. And that obviously has to come from, from you, uh, the leader. And uh, so I appreciate that. And, um, you know, thank you again for, taking the time. Uh, For those of you uh, uh, listening to this podcast, uh, tell your friends about the podcast, hit the subscribe button, give us your feedback. We love feedback. And uh, certainly, uh, Tom, we'll get back to you in terms of feedback about this particular podcast. But um, I think I've learned a lot and I'm sure everyone else who's listening to the podcast uh, will have learned a lot too. So thanks again, uh, Tom. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for having me. Look forward to
1: the feedback. All right. Take care.